0: Live, learn, grow and enjoy everything there is to running together. I hope you enjoy the show. Hi guys, it's Dane Verway back again for episode 26 of the Run Culture Podcast. Today I've got a ripping interview with Sean Williams who's a full-time running coach. So please listen to it in its entirety He's got some cracking stories and I'm sure a lot of guys will and girls will find it really important um, interesting and intriguing and um, yeah he got he's got um, a lot of wisdom to share and especially when it comes to training and uh, yeah just um, yeah I think it's um, great interview and uh, I don't think enough people have heard Sean Williams talk so yeah um, enjoy that one. Just quickly before I get on to it, um, I'll just quickly update you on how my training's gone since two days. So real quick, um, last week I did just 80Ks, just heaps of easy jogging, so was able to run the next day, but um, it was a bit of an excuse of a run, like it was um, a walk run. It's the, Normally the, the day or two after a marathon is uh, when... Um, Jess my wife and I can actually run together because we're the same pace and so we went just went to the local um Frankston high school and they've got a track there and we just did laps of that and threw the ball to Remy and got six k's out but yeah that was a good sign um but yeah I certainly pulled up the worst I've pulled up ever from a race um you know maybe it was on par with after my first ever marathon and I've done 10 road marathons now, so that's saying, saying something. I definitely got better with the road marathons and how I pull up, whether that's from the those Nike 4% shoes or whether it's a conditioning thing. But yeah, I don't think my legs were used to running 56Ks and and certainly weren't used to running 56Ks up and down hills at that pace. So as much as I prepared really well for it, you don't ever cover 56Ks at that pace um, in training. So it certainly ruined my quads my left achilles was really sore and my hamstrings and lower back so pretty much everything was really sore but it certainly came better like good every every day and um by by about thursday i'd come good and just jogged every day um i've definitely noticed in my week after a marathon it's definitely progressed over the years and Back in two thousand and fourteen, so six years ago, I was very um reserved and maybe had a few days off and then just ran twenty minutes each day and look that 's fine, and a lot of people still do that they they don 't run for a couple of weeks which but uh, yeah i, I find um, I like to just keep keep the ball rolling and um and look if I, like if you don 't get injured and you 're not burnt out and you're still super keen then why don 't you just um um, ha- have a couple of easy weeks and then translate the fitness you gained from that prep into another marathon. And, and that's the thought here now, like I'm still, still pretty motivated and, um, yeah, I really enjoyed my two bays experience and, and did need to have two weeks where I just relaxed and, um, you know, you know, just, um, just, uh, come to terms with, okay, the event's done and okay, what now? Oh, what excites me? And after doing sort of an 80 K last week, last week, which is, really easy week for me because I'm used to doing 140, 150k weeks so it's about half the mileage I normally do. I did no sessions um, and then this week I've just sort of eased eased in just a, a, a few more k's so I'll probably um, end up covering about 110, 120k's this week and then I'll, I'll end up doing two or three sessions this week just Sort of medium sessions where i 've just trained with some of the groups the guys that I coach um, and they 're about seventeen minute five k runners um, so it 's kind of that step back for me at the moment, um, so just training with them and doing the sessions with them works out for well for me and works out well for them because i can I can pace them through reps so it 's really nice um, so that 's what i 've done this week where still just done a lot of easy jogging. Um, like last week, um, a lot of five minute per Ks. Um, and that's sort of just, I just really kept myself there just so that I'm recovering and, and then, um, just adding in, um, yeah, a couple more sessions this week and then I'll have 10 weeks till the 50 K at Canberra marathon where I'm, yeah, hoping to do the 50 K ultra. So that's been a bit of a change in plan that I've sort of thought about the last week or two since two bays. And, yeah, because there's been some bushfires at the six foot track. Uh, I um yeah, that event is still up in the air whether it'll go on or not. And and to be honest, like there's not that far away. And uh, yeah, I'd, I'd rather um I still really enjoy the trail running, and I'll definitely be back. And I'll definitely want to do six foot track one day. But I'm actually leaning more towards doing the fifty k road marathon um and uh yeah just try to break three hours like having sort of some time goals really excites me and that's what was missing a little bit from the trail running so i think i need that that change where i can sort of base my training around the times that i have to do to break three hours in the 50k and um look that's going to be quite hard but i think i can do it and um yes Uh, also had a, um, sneaky look at the Australian record and look, that's probably well out of my reach. Um, but at the same time, it is a bit of a soft record. So, you know, if I had a really, really, really good day, I mean, really good day, um, and, you know, ran, ran my best, um, I I might be sort of within, within a, a slim chance of, um, going close. So that's, um, yeah, uh, sits at two hours, uh, 53 and 48 seconds by uh, Mark Tucker back in, I think, about 2008 in the Canberra Canberra Marathon as well. So um, he, he went on and won the marathon and then went on and I think he just sort of jogged it out and did 50Ks. So, you know, compared to all the other um, Australian records out there where, um, you know, they're all really strong and, um, you know, I wouldn't even put myself um, in the same league um uh, this one is actually like a, a bit of a a softer record so it's one that you know why not like just th- that might be really fun to aim for and then there's also the 50k world champs in 2 2021 in Taiwan so um if you break 3 hours that's regarded as a qualifier so that's exciting and um that might be my next mission and a little bit of a mini build towards that so I'll document my training towards that now and uh And then, yeah, that's pretty much where I'm at. So that's enough for me. And please enjoy the interview with Sean Williams. All right. Welcome back to episode 26 of the Run Culture podcast. Today, I'm interviewing Sean Williams. So Sean Williams is a highly experienced full-time running coach. He's coached runners of all ages and abilities for the last 20 years or so. Um, so he's coached elite runners such as Ben St. Lawrence, Victoria Mitchell, Harry Summers and many more and he's coached uh, um, at, at younger runners and beginner runners as well. Uh, he also had quite a distinguished running career himself uh, running great times over 5k, 10k and the half marathon. Uh, he's married to Cindy, he has a daughter Tilly. He's just in the last few years moved down to Melbourne and uh, runs the Melbourne Pack Run Group and um, quite a f- number of years ago started the Sydney Sweat Run Group, which has been quite successful as well. So he's got a lot of stories, a lot of experience in running. Welcome to the podcast, Sean. Thanks, Dane. Yeah, no worries. Um, so Sean, what I wanted to start off today uh, was, like, how did you get into running?
1: I was nine and uh, mum and dad thought it might be a good idea to take me down to the do laps. as maybe an activity to do as a child. Yeah. And I got hooked in it, pretty yeah. much, yeah, I did all the running, jumping and trolling. Um, didn't go brilliantly at middle or long distance initially, just was kind of mediocre at everything, you know, but really enjoyed it. And then my footy coach, John O'Brien, yeah. who we all knew was Mr. O'Brien back then, who was just a parent at the, at the, the old boys year 5 to 12 school that I went to at Holy Cross. Uh, he was my footy coach who also had a bit of a passion for running. He'd been a former professional uh, rugby league player. He played hooker for the Balmain Tigers and the North Sydney Bears back in the, I think way back in the 1950s now. <laughs> 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 he only passed away two, two years ago, Mr okay. O'Brien. You know, I still refer to him as. But he, he, um, he got me involved with his uh, uh, running squad, I guess, at the school at the time and and my fitness picked up pretty quickly. Then I, I worked out that I really loved the middle distance. So, but he's the man most instrumental uh, for getting me into running and getting that early passion uh, for the running. He actually bought me the uh, the complete book of running, okay. written by Jim Fix, yes. which was published in 1975. He gave that to me for Christmas in 1979. That was a New York bestseller, by the way, back in the mid 1970s. When well, he gave me that book. And I still have a copy of that book in my uh, collection on the bookshelf down in the garage now. Not allowed in the living room anymore. I've been, uh-huh. been banished to under the, under the steps in the garage, <laughs> hidden away. Uh, yeah. but it's down there probably gathering dust there. Well, he gave that to me and I read that from cover to cover many times. So yeah. Not many running books and definitely no websites or there were no podcasts to listen to or all that. Paraphernalia and uh, and uh, all the stuff you can read and listen to with running, there wasn't much uh, out there back then. Yep. And but I became a fanatic reading that book cover to cover over and over until a few other things started coming onto the bookshelf and whatnot over the years.
0: But uh, so John O'Brien was the man I reckon who got me into running. Yeah. Okay. And then so he coached you uh, for how many years, and was did you have quite a, a big run group at the time? And then, who were your heroes around that time that sort of kept inspiring you to yeah. uh, stay in the sport?
1: He coached me for around four years, and then he he uh, left the coaching. He had a few health issues actually, and he stopped the coaching. Uh, so I would have been I would have been eleven to fourteen or yep. thereabouts at that point in time under John, and then um, I joined uh, June Ferguson, who um, she has coached five Olympic. Gold medals. In other words, she, she coached Betty Cuthbert to four. Okay. So the one hundred and the two hundred and the relay in Melbourne and then Betty's four hundred in nineteen sixty-four as well yeah. in Tokyo. And Maureen Kerr in the hundred or the hundred metre hurdles in nineteen sixty-eight. And she coached Darren Clark to um to fourth uh, before Darren left her to go to the Attertons and then ultimately to Mike Hurst, but she coached Darren um, Darren went to school with me. He was two years older than me, so I was in the squad with Darren for a while yep. until he moved on. Um, yeah. So yeah, she was my second coach after um, after um, John O'Brien.
0: What was the training like uh, under her and? Um yeah, John O'Brien. Oh,
1: look, I remember with John O'Brien, yeah. it was pretty well all stuff around the football field. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> all on the grass. Yep. And we did hills as well. So we did 50-metre hill sprints. Our school had a big 50-metre hill on one side, like you know, we've got the rectangle football fields up there in Sydney. And on, on one of the, um, the sidelines, you had the big grass hill where the whole school used to watch the football type thing. We used to run up and down that and do, do hill reps. Yeah, Or we'd just do a, a, a whole bunch of different interval work um, around there, he, he put out a few cones about what, what, what would have amounted to about a 350 metre track and yep. we did stuff like 400s and 800s and, and sprints with John and then with, with June uh, there was quite a bit of speed work involved, a lot of plyometrics and we were still training more as sprinters slash middle distance runners with her, probably a little bit more speed work with her overall than with uh, John O'Brien um, and then um, there were a group of us training under June who were more middle and long focused and we realised we needed to get out and do our own runs as well, she yeah. never said go and do a long run or yeah, okay. that much mileage or was more, she'd work on your technique, uh, she'd give you plyometrics, you'd do strength work with her in a little uh, gym in the clubhouse up in Sydney, at, that was at um, Ride hornsby okay. which ended up amalgamating with Cumberland Women's and becoming cumberland Ride hornsby yep. um, They had a great little clubhouse with a gym and a meeting room and that was right by the track where we trained. Um, so... There was a lot of that, a lot of tech week and, uh, technique and strength work and that kind of thing involved with June, and then uh, stayed with her until around the age of
0: twenty. Okay. And then uh, went to John Addedon after that. Okay. And um, Darren Clark went as well. Well,
1: da- by that point, Darren, by the time I'd gone to the Addedons, I might have been there for maybe half a year, because Nancy took the sprinters and John took the middle and long distance runners, so they husband and wife team. Okay. And Nancy was more of a one, two, and four coach and John 800 up to pretty well marathon. And um, so we didn't train together apart from if we went to Sandhills or um, a bit of gym work or something like that. They had a gym in their their actual house at um, East Drive instead of the Addedon, so. Yeah. Um, But Darren quit pretty early. He he would have retired by uh, 24, I think, 23 or 24. Yeah. He he had a go for a year or two after the Auckland Commonwealth Games, but then he played football for a year and then got out of it. But we never really trained that much together. Um, But I was with the Additons for quite
0: a long time. Ended up
1: with uh, Mick Little for a while. Oh, yeah. In yeah. Sydney, yeah.
0: And how was your running going around about that time? Like, how were you, uh, you focusing on event-wise?
1: Yeah, 8 and 15 until about 23 or 24 years of age. And, you know, yeah. It's not bad. I yeah. got down to 156 and uh, 353. Yeah. And then, uh, as you do, became friends with different people as the years progressed and uh, became really good mates with uh, some distance runners who were already quite accomplished at the time. People like Jamie Harrison and Paul Arthur. And oh, yeah. Who you tend to meet on the fun run scene and that sort of thing. And yep. they did 800s and 1500s and that sort of thing too. end up moving up distance. to the, more the 5 and 10, yep. about 24 or 25, and joined that distance group. and What was that distance group? Uh, well, Mick Little was a local coach in Sydney at the time. Yeah. And, uh, yeah, he he had, uh, had some good ones. Paul Arthur had... Um, moved up to the Central Coast and then he'd moved down and he was with the group for a while. But sometimes we'd spend weekends and train with guys like Paul and Johnny Andrews up on the Central Coast as well. Uh Uh, We knew that Paul had been coming down, you know, maybe two or three times a week. And, uh, you know, so if it was good enough for him to drive down, then occasionally we'd drive up and train with him too. Yep, yep. yeah. And then a few other guys joined in, like Kim Gallard and Nick Cope, who'd come up from Tasmania. And, uh, yeah, there were couple of groups in Sydney that trained together at the time too and yeah, yeah. okay so it
0: was a pretty good running scene absolutely trained one.
1: very briefly with Ken Green oh yeah Who ended up becoming a rival coach in Sydney I guess you could say but yeah. um, by that point in time I realized that my own competitive running and I was about 31 or 32 at that point in time my own competitive running was probably coming towards the end of the um, being my number one passion because okay. I just started coaching yep mainly through teaching uh-huh. and um, then I started coaching Lizzie Miller Yep. And after only probably two months with Drini, I just said, Look, I'm, my heart's not really in it. Yep. It's just not right for me. You now, they were all really fit young guys you know, on the way up. Uh-huh. And um, I sort of like, I kind of knew I was on the way up with running as my number one, or well, the competitive running yep. for me is my number one passion.
0: Uh huh. Yeah. And you finished up your career with PVs of 14.09 for 5K and 29.31 for 10K. Can you remember those races?
1: Yeah, I do. Yeah. I did uh, the fourteen oh nine in Canada in Vancouver. Okay. Um, you know, in a twilight meet, I did the twenty nine thirty one in Zatapet in ninety five. Yeah, yep. Yeah. Where I came about twelfth, I think. Yeah. Okay. Just behind Wayne Lardon. You I don't know know oh, yeah. Wayne, but yeah. he's with the race director of the City Marathon. Yep. I've done a fair bit of training with Wayne too. He's one of those guys who had been down at the Institute of Sport, like. Every second runner I had been at the Australian Institute of Sport in my era. Uh-huh. Um, particularly guys who were really good and Wayne was one of those guys who was a really top junior then he stayed down there for a while but then he ended up moving back to Sydney being a Sydney boy and so I did quite a bit of training and, and a lot of racing with Wayne but it, in my, when I ran my PB yeah. he just beat me. Okay. Yeah, I remember that by about a metre. <laughs> who won that race? Uh, I could I tell you? Yeah. I, uh, might have been Shawnee Crichton. Yep. I do know, that was 95, and I do remember in 96 that Sean broke the Australian record when I was in Canada. I, yeah. I went to Canada in 96, 97. Uh-huh. And I do remember um, hearing about the results a peak. You know, there was no internet or anything still at that point. Yep. And it might have just been right in the early stages, but they didn't. You, know, it was, you didn't find out about race results and whatnot what on the internet, so I heard I don't know how I heard it, probably on the phone with someone first of all, or via a postcard or something, that Sean sort of had <laughs> broken his Australian record mm-hmm. uh, in the Zatapek the following year, uh, with Darren Wilson not far behind him, uh, but I think Sean might have won it, either Sean or Yeah. I do remember getting lapped, uh, I ran Zatapek three times and I remember getting lapped each time I ran it, that's for sure. And what brought about the change to go to Canada? Uh, yeah, I followed Sydney over there. I met yeah. her in, in Sydney, Australia, and then followed her over to Vancouver, and we lived there, and uh, uh-huh. did a fair bit of training and racing, and trained under a coach called Marek Tindrezik Okay. over there, who was pretty well, one of the main guys in Canada at the time, and he had been like a national coach at Olympic level, world cross country, that kind of thing, of a Polish background, who immigrated to um, Canada probably 20 years earlier, had a big group over there, and... and a lot of good gunners there, including the Canadian record holder at the time, um, Jeff Siebler, so uh, for gun oh, gun, sorry, for 5 and 10,000 metres. Okay. And number two all-time in the marathon. Right. And Jeff ran, I think, around 13.13 13 and um, 27.35, I think, off memory, and 2.10 in the marathon, fourth in New York. Yeah. Actually ran his PB in New York, I think. But yeah. there are a lot of other guys in the group, or if not coached by Marek who still... Hooked up with in long runners and whatnot. Guys like um, Bruce Deacon, okay. who I call Dick, <laughs> Five foot one, a, a bit different to the Aussie <laughs> Dick, He smart. ran in two Olympic marathons and a 211 runner. Wow. And, um, and Kerry Nelson, another 211 marathoner who um, uh, ran in the Olympics as well in, in, in the marathon in 1996. Um, got to know Peter Butler really well. Yep. a 210 marathon, a lot, lot of guys who are way quicker than me, but
0: um, great people to tag in with. Um, in training, that's for sure. Was and the training very much different in Canada compared to what you'd experienced so quite, far?
1: Quite different, yeah. yeah. They are into doing two really hard workouts a week, and we were used to doing three, okay. or trying to do three. Yeah. And as you probably know, trying to do three hard workouts and one long run and then one semi-long run and a whole bunch of other stuff yep. can often get the better of you. Yeah. Well, they were into a really monster session on a Tuesday night, okay, um, which didn't change year round, or did, I'll tell you about that in a minute, Yeah. and then another monster session on the Saturday. But every Tuesday, you go out to the track where the University of um, British Columbia, UBC, uh-huh. had their squad training, and they had like, post-grads and people like me who could jump in with their university team as well, so it was a really big squad of guys and girls, and You'd do a um, 5K warm-up, which was already always at about 4-minute K pace, pretty quick. Yep. And then you'd, you'd do stretching, this drives and whatnot, and then you'd do a, a threshold. Um, and in the, the only time it changed was for half a year, which they called the winter block, and winter was a good half a year there. Um, in the winter, you do a 25-minute threshold, and in the summer, um, the other half of the year, you'd do a 15-minute threshold. Okay. And then, other than that, they'd only ever do miles, you'd do four by a mile, okay. off a two-minute recovery. Well, yeah. I think two minutes for whoever came first. <laughs> recovery. Oh, okay. So that might be someone like Shibla running at 420. Yep. So if you did a 440, well, I'd probably do them in about 440. Yep. Shibla would do them in 420. <laughs> um, so i get about a minute 40 recovery. And then you do a 5K cool down, so it'd be a good 20-minute Oh, sorry, 20K, 20k worth of running, maybe 22k worth of running on a Tuesday, Jeez, yeah. and then you do something fairly similar on a Saturday, but you go to Stanley Park, okay, which is like a downtown, uh, about a 10k perimeter park in Vancouver. Beautiful, big pine forest in the middle with um, gravel trails everywhere, and, and a yeah. bitumen, a flat bitumen 10k loop around the outside, which they include the Vancouver Marathon okay. course yep. over. And fun runs and whatnot too. They got a big fun run called the, uh, the Sun Run. Yeah. they incorporate a bit of Stanley Park in that fun run too. Really quick 10k course that one actually okay. on the road. Um, so on Saturday morning again, you do a 5k warm up and then you do a combination of beavers or peas. What's that? Okay, well, a beaver was a 1k loop around a little lake in the middle of the park called Beaver Lake. Okay. Um, and a P was where you'd include that beaver course, but you'd deviate up um, to make it a, like, look like a letter P. Oh, you'd yeah. yep. do this out and back up a hill and back oh, again. Okay. So it'd be a combination of a hilly loop or a flat loop. Yep. And Marrick the coach, I reckon he had no idea what he was going to give everybody until he locked <laughs> up that morning, And he'd, he'd just say, like there'd be a big group and everyone would be chatting away and then wondering when Marek would announce what it would be. And then normally even, well, half of them are still chatting it'd say something like Beaver, pea Beaver, pea Beaver or maybe um, five by Beaver, two yeah. by pea, one Beaver. And then because half the people were chatting, yeah. you'd have to say the Beavers or peas. you get all confused about uh, what, what the hell's the session today? You know. <laughs> and then you kind of make it up as we went along and I don't think they've ever America- Remember what he said, you know. So we ended up getting about 10k worth of reps in any way and I think the peas were about a 2k and the beavers were about a 1k. So it would be a combination of um, 2k and 1k reps pretty well with a pretty short recovery. Yeah.
0: I remember going on one run with you and you tell me about getting frostbite um, at yeah. one point in Canada. Um, yeah.
1: I was running with a, a, a guy who I became very good friends with, uh, Kevin O'Connor. Yeah. Um, and we, we decided to go out to a lake or a place in Vancouver called Burnaby Lake which is sort of like a long way from where we lived and at the time it was a bit more of an outer suburb and the loop around Burnaby Lake is about a, uh, a 10K, no, 12k loop and uh, we, we decided to do partly and it was in the middle of winter lovely sunny afternoon probably about 2 degrees which is pretty good you know, for Canada really and no wind yeah. And we started warming up and then a big black cloud came over then it just started bucketing down snow because the temperature dropped. And I didn't think about it at the time I invested, nice good good lake for barefoot Good uh, lovely soft wood chip trail for barefoot rain. Yeah. I was barefoot. And we got into it and then got caught pretty well right out in the middle of it with major issues like skin was starting to come off. Yeah. Um, and then, you know, I, I couldn't run. It was just too much pain. I was stuck yep. out there in the snow and I said, You better go and get some help, mate. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, so he, did, <laughs> he went back and uh, by the time I got back, hob- hobbling back, um, an ambulance had arrived and he just, he drove me to the um, to the hospital and spent quite a bit of time in hospital. And I was talking about uh, chopping off one or both of the feet. Far out. And at one point everything was okay, the, the, the skin settled down somehow. Yeah. And, uh, so got pretty close okay. to losing your feet. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah. There was a little bit of skin drafting. Yep. But other than that everything was okay. Yeah, so that was uh yeah, the, the end that was a bit of a write off there and didn't run for about probably four or five about four and a half months.
0: Yep. Yep. Okay. Yeah. By the time all that settled down. And then um you came back to Australia, yeah. um and you said you did a bit of coaching and that uh, teaching and that got you into coaching. Um Correct. Yeah. so did you do a a teaching degree and um yeah, yeah and then um what schools were, well, how did you start your coaching? Um,
1: well, um, the last full time um, teaching job I had yep. was at Kincopple at Rose Bay. Okay. And that's at, um, a co ed um, K to 6, which in Victoria would be P to 6. So, co ed primary and uh, all girls secondary school. And I was teaching there and, uh, and coaching the school team as well. But in the end, a couple of parents who, you know, they had daughters or in the younger cases, sons who uh, didn't do athletics at school because they were into their footy or their netball or whatever, their basketball or whatever they, were, whatever they were into, liked their running and wanted to do running as well, got in my ear and said, why don't you start up a little squad yep. after school? And that became pretty popular after a while. It went from two or three on day one to probably 10 after a couple of months, and it yep. just gradually built. And then... Uh, a couple of parents were keen runners anyway who wanted to get involved, like often they are, Yeah, you know? uh, including um, a parent who, he didn't have a daughter going to that school, but she went to a neighbouring school, uh, Selma Cajun's dad, Alia, who was a 218 marathoner, not yep. at that point in time, but yep. he had been, um, and his wife, Biba Cajun, she was a 20, a former 202 800 metre runner, <laughs> <laughs> that was Selma's parents. Good Good genes. Well, there were a couple of the early people in what became the after-school uh, squad, and then that just grew uh-huh. into the local through. Um, I was always a member um, of uh, Roundwick mm-hmm. my From the time I moved out of home, when I went to uni and whatnot, uh, from about 22 onwards, I'd be, end up joining Roundwick Botany. And they became yeah, my club for, for many years. And um, yeah, so I became one of the Roundwick Botany coaches myself. Once they cotton on that I'd had a squad, and I thought, oh, that'd be a good idea. And Ali is still heavily involved in railway botany now, okay. Been on the committee I think for thirty years or something now. Yeah. All oh, right. So and he was one of the early ones, and he jumped in with the group. And uh, Bieber, the mum, uh, Selma's mum jumped in. A little Selma at the time. She would have been Tilly's age. My Tilly, who's ten now. Yeah, yeah. She would have started out at 10, 10 years yeah. of age. Tal- talented little runner. Back yeah, back. yeah. And obviously went on so to the Olympics she did yeah, yeah. olympic 800 meters yeah. in rio yeah she ended up with nick
0: yeah yeah so nick bidot yeah. yeah and so with um that uh were you just coaching tuesday and thursday nights um
1: yeah on the weekend sunday and sunday yeah. as well yep. yeah so saturday yeah. morning uh-huh. and sunday long run or for little ones if they're only yep. young then it wouldn't be too long but it would still be the sunday morning run yep which I'm even doing now. Yeah. Along, you know, twenty years later, with yep. any, any littleies that I coach, I try and encourage them to come along. And even if they're only doing five k, that's their longest run of the week. We call it the long run. Yep. Right up to it could be a, some ultra dude out there. I'll give them hundred k. You know. Yeah, yeah. run <laughs> yeah. all day. See you later. Yeah. So, but Sunday is usually the
0: long run day. You know, depending who people are, it always has been. Yeah. And did that extend into Sweat Sydney? Was that how? Yeah, it, it did. Uh, yeah. That night,
1: well. Yep. I left full-time teaching in 2003, Yep. beginning of 04, and um, took, a, took a punt there because yeah. it became too busy teaching and coaching, the coaching had really built, the squad had become pretty big at that point. What were your numbers at that point? Probably 40 plus at that point, yeah. I'd say, off memory, and uh, including some pretty good ones there, and it just became really time consuming, and teaching's already a pretty tough gig as it is, and... Uh, yep. I probably could have kept it rolling, but I would have gone crazy, I reckon. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Okay. And uh, I did I wanted to do one thing well rather than two things mediocre. So yeah, um, I, I took the punt and, and took up the coaching full time, nice. literally full time. And I the plan was that I'd do a bit of personal training to start with as well, uh-huh. and maybe a bit of relief teaching. And I did a bit of that for in, within the first year. Yeah, uh, didn't enjoy the personal training at all. Just that that style of clientele, one-on-one, I found really boring. It's like, uh-huh. Trying to get blood out of a stone. Yes. You know? <laughs> yeah. Um, oh, some people were good, but others it's yes. like, oh man, it's just <laughs> an hour of whinging, here we go. <laughs> yes. And the hardcore coaching just doesn't work for that kind of person. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh. You know, so um, uh, I enjoy coaching people who
0: want to be coached yep. pretty well. Yep. Yeah. So, And, and- that's quite that's like 2005, it's just purely coaching. Yeah, sure. And yeah. so like, looking back on it now, like 2020, um, are you really happy you made that decision and changing your life where you went into the full-time coaching? Absolutely. Yeah. 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 It's like,
1: uh, if I, you know, often when you're in school and people ask you what, what you want to be when you grow up, well, I didn't say I wanted to be an a, a athletics coach or involved in sport and make a living out of sport, but yeah. I think every second boy that I went to school with would have wanted to have made a living out of sports. So I, I think I'm really blessed to um, yep. have been able to do that for not too far off two decades now. Yeah.
0: And your brother's um, a pretty established physiotherapist uh, in New yeah, South one, Wales. One of my brothers, yeah, of brothers? My two
1: brothers and one sister. And uh, yeah, uh, one of my my baby brother, Matty. I'm number one in the family, he's number four. Uh-huh. Uh, Matty's 40 now and uh-huh. I'm 52. Yeah, and yeah, he's an established physio uh, in charge of a um, uh, a pre um, operation uh, department at uh, Royal North Shore uh-huh. in Sydney, where he'll, he'll be there to try and prevent people from going under the knife, mainly for knee and hip operations. So, so in a lot of ways, you're well
0: yeah, taking a pretty similar line of um, employment because you're yeah, promoting health and yeah uh, yeah yeah my sister Kath,
1: she's two years younger than she, me she became a teacher and she was teaching PE for a while but then she got married to um professional rugby league player Andrew Lankford. okay <laughs> um he retired from rugby league pretty early from a couple of really big hits and, and not only that but he'd been a teacher himself but he only taught for a year didn't like it then he took up physio late Okay. So he's another physio in the family. Oh, yeah. The brother-in-law, Andrew, there. So um, <laughs> he quit football mainly because he was about to graduate from uni to become a physio and he was married to a young wife at the time, my sister, and he thought, I'm not going to get smashed around playing rugby league anymore. Yep. And that was the end of the rugby league for Andrew and the beginning of another physio in the family But Actually, he was the first physio. Then my little brother, Matt, became one too. Sure.
0: And there you go. So like, looking back on your coaching career, yeah, what yeah. are some of the um things that you're doing now that or like what have you learned what are you doing differently now than when you did at the start like is there being stuff that you've changed over the time or um or you've just stuck to much of the same philosophy like um
1: i guess my philosophy's generally been the same uh, since the word go i i've Back when I was an athlete, I really looked up to, to uh, Steve Obeck, Sebastian Coe, especially in my early years, and I had their books and all that sort of thing, and, you know, I used to get um, the Athletes' Weeklies from Britain and all that mailed out, again, before there was any, any any internet. And I really looked up to Peter Coe as a coach, the father-son coaching combination with Coe there, and um, I liked his multi-tier approach, approach to training. Yeah. And in a nutshell, multi-tier training is... Um, where you, you never ignore any of the components of the training. So there's speed and power and endurance, and uh, they're the main components there. Yep. And you should not neglect any of them year round. Yep. It, it obviously, you'll change the emphasis uh, for an athlete, depending on what they're getting ready for at certain times of the year, but you should always be giving speed yep. uh, and always be giving long work. Uh, mileage should never drop too much, so an easy yep. week should never be too easy. Um, strength work should be pretty well part of it all the time. Uh, even power work, depending on what they're getting ready for, especially middle distance and particularly more at the elite level, yep. should be looking at their power too and stuff like pliers. So mm-hmm. try to keep them involved and keep them, uh, everything moving year round has um, been my general philosophy. So yep. I'm not so much into um, pure Lydia coaching or Marathon method, definitely not, or anything like that. Yeah, so, yeah. Yep. Yeah, I, I like to I like so each speed way. work to be involved. even if someone new comes to me and they haven't had any speed work before, I like to give it to them from the word drop and in a small doses. Yes. Yep. And I know you've even brought yeah. the doses down even smaller. Yeah. So, <laughs> since you've been one of the if not the main physio that I send people to. Yep. You do a great job of that by the way. Yeah. Thank <laughs> you. Thank <laughs> But um uh, yeah, often, as you know, if someone new comes to me, whether they're new to the sport completely or maybe a junior who hasn't been doing too much, I'll give them fairly small doses and then even then they can still have a few little issues and then you'll yep. give them even smaller doses. So yeah. but I think um, speed's something that you know, you've know you got to do from the word go. Yep. Uh, nothing too quick and nothing uh, not too much of it, yep. but uh, well and truly all the time. Just so the, the body
0: adapts and gets used to it. You need to adapt Stays to used to it. All those
1: different aspects.
0: Yep. And then what would um, you say, when you've coached a few runners and they just started with you and you've had a chat to them, what would you say the common mistake that you see in um, runners that, um, like say they're self-coached or they're just starting running and they keep getting injured and they come to you to try to improve their running. What's the biggest mistakes that you've seen um, in running it can depend on the individual yep. you know some people it might literally be a major mistake
1: it might be that someone is only running long and slow yep. like a Maffetone style method or or, um, or they're someone who's gone down the track of having a huge Lydia style base where they're again still mainly going long and slow and then they're just throwing in a whole bunch of hills or something like that for a month or two yeah, so they're, yeah. they're becoming obsessed with one particular style of training. Or well, they yeah. might be someone who's come from a, a gym background and they're full on into the power, but they've got absolutely no endurance at all. So they're normally yeah. people who um, have been going way too fanatically in one component of training.
0: Yeah. So they're overdoing one of one of those. Yeah. yeah yep. One of the tiers. Yep. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Um. And then expanding on that, um, yeah. they would you also say that um, like sometimes people rush it and they lack the patience and, and um, uh, try to achieve their goals in a too small smaller period of time? In time. Yeah. And, and you'll talk to any
1: experienced yeah. coach out there and they'll say, nearly anyone who, if you ask them what their coaching philosophy is, yeah. the word patience will come into just about any coach's um, yep, theory there. Yeah.
0: So, yeah. Nice. And um, uh, who... Of all, like, your, um, experiences, like, who's been one of the biggest, or who are some of the biggest, um, inspirations from a coach perspective, um, and, uh, running perspective, um, for how you've formed your coaching methods and, and has shaped some of your ideas on running, like, who have been some of the biggest inspirations? Like, you've mentioned Seb Co, um, yeah. and his father, yeah. and Steve Ovette, um, but is there, and then you've mentioned um, your former coaches, um, but has there been anyone else?
1: Yeah, absolutely.
0: Um, Nick Badeau. Yeah. Big what, time. How is he? Uh,
1: mainly, look, he, he's uh, helped, um, helped coach, but more manage some of my better runners, like Ben St. Lawrence and Lara Tamsit, to a lesser extent, um, Harry Summers, uh, Cameron Page. Did actually coach Victoria Mitchell. She was one of the Victorian coaches who looked after before she moved up to Sydney and trained with me. Yep. You know. um, Stephen Thurston for a while. Yeah, so he had that influence and relationship with them and then I got to know Nick a fair bit as well and I just like the way he goes about things. Just yep. keeping things... Pretty well that, that Australian style of coaching mm-hmm. which you know, has been around since the Ron Clark era you know, and which then moved through to guys like Chloe Hesse you know, and, and Dick Telford. Chris Wardlaw, where you're keeping things nice and steady, not yep. having to shift things around and get too fancy. Yep. So right down to the simplicity of the, um, of the Wardlaw approach where you've got that same week, year yep. round. And I don't think there's anything wrong with that. Yep. But I think that's very much reflective of the Australian approach. The hard-easy involved in there, yep. know, good mileage without it being crazy um two long runs with one being quite a bit longer than the second one you know recovery runs you know yep you usually tend to do the hard work on tuesday thursday saturday yeah look the, all those people i've mentioned there from Hesse telford but even bedo now yep. who really has just got his own little slant on what those older guys were doing before yeah with more threshold involved yeah and or tempo, or you can call it progressive work involved than the other guys. I guess um, uh, they've influenced me a lot, but probably Bedo more than anyone. I just yeah. like the way that he's been able to um, to manage as well. Yep. So when he obviously started out more with uh, with Kathy, he was more the manager, and then he became more of the coach. Yep. Kind of helping Peter Fortune there, becoming more of the coach, and then getting more involved in his passion: the middle and long distance. Um, He's done a brilliant job there, and you and, uh, can always be really well trusted there with managing your athletes without trying to, to, without trying to snag them or anything yep. like that, which was um, yep. very important too. So I've got a lot of respect for Nick, and yep. still uh, am a really big fan
0: of his group and, and what they do and what they achieve. Yeah, because yeah. Um, that's probably you hinted on the other part of coaching, I suppose. like It's all great setting sessions and everything, but like yeah. managing the athlete keeping them interested and keeping them in the sport and then um, uh, even just um, motivating them or keeping them in that positive mindset. Like, yeah. like that's a huge part of, as a coach. And, like, seeing Stewie McSwain run such an amazing time in December um, when there wasn't really many leading races, like, that, that says something. Like, he's obviously doing a lot right. I think
1: yeah. one of the things that Nick told me, I'd have told yeah. you as well, is that his athletes are never more than about a month away from... A PB or racing at their best. Yeah. You know, pretty well give them fairly similar stuff year round and then just adjust it according to what they're getting ready for. And the only exception to the rule might be the marathon, where they, you know, need, you know, need a little bit more lead in time for the marathon, you know, for their specific work there. But for, they're mainly middle distance, middle to long. And so I, I like that. Uh, same theory to apply for me, as long as they've been under your wing for a year or two. You know, you, <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> you, you can't say that's going to be, uh, will apply to a 15-year-old lad who rocks up. And <laughs> yeah. You can't expect them to be at their peak within a year or two. But you know, yep. if a top-level runner comes to you, then you'd want, after they've gotten used to your coaching and your training, you'd want them to be within a
0: month of being able to run a PB for the majority of the year, I think. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. Um, who is the most talented runner you've ever seen? Cameron Page. Cameron Page? Unbelievable, yeah. Yep. So, Closely well, followed by Harry Summers. Uh-huh. W- because you've coached both of them, like what... what, what
1: oh, and then, no, sorry, I mentioned yeah. to you before the interview, uh, now a new one who oh, yeah. I've helped at Mentone Grammar. I'm helping at, at, at coaching with Craig Mottram now at Mentone Grammar. And Craig's the lucky one who's got her in his squad at the moment out of Mentone Grammar, and her name's Claudia Hollingsworth. Okay. Who probably no one's heard of at the moment, but watch out. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> She's yeah. a freak. Yeah. Um, World um, record under one k, two forty three. Yeah. And she runs exactly like a female Cameron Page.
0: Yeah. Yeah. What's yeah. the uh, What was the most amazing thing you saw Cameron do? But, yeah. Um, we one of the sessions
1: I like to give people a wind sprints. Yep. Yeah. Which again, that's from the Australian background. Uh, you know. The, the classic session, a bit like the quarters. Uh-huh. But uh, probably fewer squads will do the wind sprints, but I know Ron Clark did it. Yep. People like Trevor Vincent, you know, and right through to Deep did it as well. Yep. A whole bunch of top runners have done it. Between four and 5K, I'll normally give mine four or 5K. Um, anyway, it was up in Sydney, 400 meter grass track, and um, they were a good group there that day, doing the 5K worth of wind sprint session. Now, you don't expect people to be able to run a PB A, when they're doing fartlek style workout and B, on grass. Yep. Well, the podium that day was the same as the podium for the National 5,000m Australian Championships a couple of months later. Yep. Um, But it was a different order, slightly different order. But the the top three that day in training was Cameron Page, 1321. (laughs) uh, Harry Summers, 1350. And Ben St. Lawrence, 1420.
0: Yeah, five, 5K wind springs. Yeah,
1: so it would have been three to four months, probably three and a half months before this game Championships the following year. Anyway, it was on Melbourne Cup Day when they did the session, yep. which is what, the first Tuesday in November. The reason I remember that is because uh, Cameron and Harry liked the drink <laughs> and, and they were living upstairs in my place yep. in Sydney at the time. Yeah. And uh, in a little self-contained apartment upstairs Yep. and it was Melbourne Cup afternoon and the session was down for um, 4.30 so not, not that long after Melbourne Cup yep. and I got out from doing something and I came in and I, I knew they were upstairs and I just yelled you know, out, hi boys, how are you going, you're watching the Cup yeah, 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 and I, I thought they sounded a bit happy <laughs> up there anyway, I just thought, I, I, I'd already put it, you know, like you do a few bucks on at the TAB and I'd turn on the telly downstairs I yep. thought about actually going up yep. watching it with the boys, but I might have been a bit busy i turned on the tube, yeah Melbourne Cup, done and dusted, I lost again like I always did. <laughs> no good betting and then uh, and I heard a bit of carrying on upstairs and how'd you go boys and I forget who one of them might have tipped the winner or got a, won a bit of money, yep. I thought, oh, they're happy from betting well <laughs> I didn't realise exactly what was going on upstairs anyway and then they jumped in the car and we did the 10 minute drive to Centennial Park and then they got that session done and I could not believe that workout that Paige did that day, it's just unbelievable, <laughs> like the floats weren't really floats yeah, you know, yeah. Like, <laughs> there was a bit of a pace change there, but he just went gangbusters from the word go. I've never seen anything like it.
0: Yes. From anyone. And to be that far ahead of Harry and Benny St Lawrence. Yeah.
1: So. I've seriously not seen anything like that, like an Olympic final watching Mo Farah or you know, yeah, yeah. Kipchoge on television when he did the one fifty nine, maybe, but uh, I haven't seen anything like it. Just freakish performance from the word go. Yeah. Anyway, and then we'd jump in the car at the end after they did the cool down. And I hadn't really noticed them getting drunk or you know hitting the grog that much in the last week or two. Yep. So I just made the comment. I said, well, look, look how well you go, boys, when you, when, you, when you don't drink too much beer. And they started laughing. I <laughs> back of the car I thought, what are they laughing about? <laughs> and they said, well, we want to show you something, Sean. And they took me upstairs and there were, um, there were a dozen um, empty beer bottles. And they had half a dozen each. I said, we need to drink them on oh, the hour before we jumped in the car while we we're watching the car. <laughs> So they, that made it even more incredible. Yeah, that, that, that's phenomenal. You know, and that, uh, that was the issue with Cameron, unfortunately. Uh, yeah, yeah. He could have really gone on to big things, but he's, uh, yeah. he's more focusing on his career
0: now, put it that way. Yeah, more job now. Yeah, yeah. Nice. Yeah. Um, what is the favourite session that you give your athletes um, uh, in a typical week? Um, yeah. Favourite one? Favourite one, yeah.
1: Yeah, that's a good question. Uh, I like I like anything where there's where it's short and sharp, followed by a threshold. Yep. So we'd mainly do that on the grass track at Edith now yeah? And, you know, it was in Centennial Park in Sydney. Sometimes we do this. Back in Sydney, I'll, sometimes I'll be doing the threshold first and the uh, followed by the speed. But in recent times, definitely, uh, anyway, even in Sydney in the last few years before I came down here, I'd rather give something like 200s or 300s or 400s. Yeah um oh a fairly short recovery but something pretty speedy and maybe a little bit lactic as well depending yep. on what they're getting ready for you know and if it was lactic the recovery for the 2s 3s or 4s might be longer just so they can track yep. out a little bit more speed and yep. and, uh, and bring out the lactic but otherwise yep. it might be fairly short recovery and not much quicker than threshold work you know uh-huh. um but still pretty taxing on the body Yep. and then I'd give them only a 3 to 5 minute break and then they do a 10 to 20 minute threshold you nice. know yeah okay yeah I just even doing that myself, just as an old guy, yep. I just love that feeling of uh, wow, I'm running it. Well, for me these days, a really good pace is about 3:30 over 5k, you know, yep. or 3:40, and, and um, love that feeling of that kind of 5k, 10k race pace feeling easy. And I always oh, yeah. find it feels easy when you when you've done some. Speed. Not every time, but nine times out of ten, it feels good. Yep. Yeah, and I find if people do that kind of workout consistently, it, it can bring
0: dividends, yeah. Dividends. yeah, yeah. That's a nice. Actually, I did a pretty similar one on Tuesday with a couple of the boys I coach. Yeah, where we did a two k, um, just at their sort of um tempo pace, and then um four four hundreds, yeah. um, um a lot quicker, and yeah. with good recovery, and then a two k again. And um, they all said that on. The, I thought they'll be tired on the second two k, but they're like, oh wow, this pace feels easy compared to the shorter stuff in the middle. Yeah. Um. So yeah. You do mainly do it to make the, um, the, like, so that you've got a combination of, like, doing some short, fast stuff and then some tempo in the session, um, or is it to sort of run while you've also got a bit of lactic in your legs as well, or a bit of, bit of everything? A bit of bit of everything,
1: yeah. really, and yeah. definitely running while you've got a bit of lactic in your legs, because that's the sort of thing that will build up, not not in the marathon, but in the yeah. shorter middle and, and shorter long distance races. Yeah, Um, but also it just, it's something about the fact that you've been running quite a deal quicker. Yeah. Somehow it's probably a neural a yeah. thing as much as anything, a neural thing. But Yeah. somehow your body switched on to all of a sudden, uh, running faster. it yep. Just becomes easier there. It's like everything's warmed up and yeah. ready to go. And it's even made me think about best way to warm up. Yeah. Before races. So I've even given, haven't done it myself yet because I've been injured lately, but it's one of the things, you know, how you evolve and thoughts coming. Uh, yeah, talks. exactly. Some people, would they'd be better off doing maybe three or four hard 200s. Yeah. yeah and then just, having a nice break. But so do, like before a race. Yep. Yeah, exactly. Doing anything be, be, you know, before 1500, 3K, 5K, 10K. So do some fairly hard sprints, not just drives over 50 or 100, like most people do and they usually don't do them flat out. Yep. But actually something pretty taxing. Just Depending on who the individual is yeah. and whether they'll respond. Because like in anything, you've got respondents and non respondents, But yep. you know, I'm thinking, wow, yeah, yeah maybe, maybe I should have been doing that all my life. <laughs> i have been a 25-minute 10K runner, especially with the new shoes out there. So, <laughs> yeah, that's it. You know? How is your injury going? Oh, I'm, I'm hoping it's alright. I went for a 2K walk with the dog last night, barefoot, yep. on a dead flat course around Edithvale. And I pulled up better than... Um, than uh, uh, it had been feeling before the walk, so I'm gonna try more walking. Okay, good. And it's got a little bit more of a range in motion there now. Um, yep. So I went down the track where I was trying um, leg extensions with only a one kg yep. weight around my ankle and that kind of flared it up and it went back a week or two I reckon. Okay. Um, and I, I tried leg extensions with no weight at all. Yep. It's not too bad. Uh-huh. And I'm able to actually do a butt kick now, which is pretty good. Good, yeah. Not a bad range of motion there. And I'm fine if I, sitting down for a long time or even just yes. standing for a long time one or the other if i'm not moving it it's different After a shocker yeah yeah, so, yeah. yeah but we'll wait and see the doctor wanted me to have four months off yeah yeah once a, really a month mm-hmm. and then i'm at the halfway mark i'm at two months and that's under the kneecap like. it's not actually it's just the yeah, yeah. under the kneecap it's yeah. Just, yeah that tendon there yep. yeah oh yeah, yeah. For the tendon yeah so um yeah wait and see Been playing the waiting game at the moment yeah. I don't want to go yeah. down the operation path at the end of the four months. That's the plan. Yeah, um, you have to rip me open. <laughs> then it would be actually 12 months of no running from that point. If, if yeah, you had, had to go down that so, way. You said you have to you know, stitch it back up. That'll yeah. be four months of a brace after that and then eight months of rehab. Jeez. Okay. So, yeah. I'm at the,
0: the point now. I'm just hoping hoping for good healing. Yep. Yeah. Um, yeah, and then I suppose I also wanted to just go over... Um, yeah, just a couple more questions because um yeah, I've taken up enough of your time really, Sean. Um but yeah, probably uh that was a really good topic just before, like your favourite favourite session. Um what's the hardest session that you've ever had to do? Um or the hardest session you've seen someone do? Yeah. Yeah. Um yeah.
1: there have been some unbelievable ones out there. Yeah. yeah. Um it's you know for me, if I try to do something like what Dion does, for example, yeah, yeah. he's obviously more of a slow twitch marathoner, you know, yep. coming from the Ironman than the ultra background, uh-huh. and then you know running anything as short as 800, 1500 meter races now, but you know, very versatile. Yeah, still the marathoner at the moment, but eyeing off the marathon. Yeah. Year. I mean, some of the stuff he does, like the, the long fartleks. Yeah. Know, um would have totally killed me. I yep. couldn't handle that myself. So I'll look at something like that in all. Yeah. You know, for a 2.20, 2.21 marathon guy to be able to, um, to do 20, 25K workouts or sometimes even yeah. incorporate it incorporate into a 35K. Yep. Where the bulk of it would be really quick. Yes. With like pretty short float recoveries. Yeah. You know, to me that's, if I tried that as an athlete, that would be super hard. But then yep. your marathoning types actually might prefer that to just banging out eight quick 200s. You know, yeah. That might stuff them up. It might either injure them or they might find it scary. Um, one that I participated in but I didn't do all of, that deep that I told you about, um, Bruce Deacon, who yep. ran in the two Olympic marathons. He ran in 96 and then 2000 uh-huh. in the Olympic marathon. He came about, I think, about 20th in Atlanta. Yes. Maybe not quite that good in Sydney, twenty fifth, so good. Yep. Good solid performances and he won the um, the California International Marathon a few times. Oh yeah. Wow. In Sacramento. Okay. That's where he ran his P B and he did pretty well in some other ran a couple of world champs and that kind of thing. Yeah. But uh Bruce one month before a marathon he liked to do twenty by a K around that Beaver Lake that I told you about when we lived in Canada. Yeah. Uh, oh, yeah. to... <laughs> and you know running on gravel is not that quick as you know you've trained around here at Edith trail on this trail before and you've got yeah. the gravel trails you train around Ballam and up around Frankston and yep. you know, you've got the Tan Melbourne people know and the yeah. uh, Princess Park, it's not as quick as running on the road or a Tartan track um, yeah. he did it and he'd average, he'd, he would average about 250 yep. and then he'd have a, um, a minute and a half jog recovery in between Oh, yeah. And he got myself and another guy who were obviously nowhere near his level, but um, to help him out, and uh, I think I did seven. Yeah, and, then and he did guy, 20. The, the other guy did seven, then I did another um, another few just to help him out you know, after <laughs> having a big break. Yeah. And that was hard enough. Yeah. It was like a full-on, would have been you know probably 10 for me, broken up into a seven and, and then a three. Yeah. Okay. Uh, yeah, absolutely. Um, something like... Uh, I saw a few of the good distance guys I coach do nine or ten by a K on drafts, averaging low two forties, that's pretty good work off a five minute no sorry, off a four minute cycle. Jeez.
0: So they have about a minute to a minute twenty recovery type thing. Was that Harry Summers or Yeah. Yeah. These guys, yeah. Yeah. That's incredible. Yeah. Um and then what are your thoughts on um, GPS monitors, heart rate? monitors um and Strava like you mentioned before like um you know back in the 90s that like, there was no internet and you had to find out results through the phone and stuff like that but yeah. with the advent of like Strava and um and um you know having a bit to, to do with Michael Kernahan and um <laughs> trying to stop him from chasing all the CRs <laughs> um what, what are your thoughts on Strava and, and um and all the technology yeah, look,
1: I, a good point on Michael
0: there, yeah. and you do have to treat everybody as an individual,
1: and he, he's yep. got a passion there, obviously. Yeah, he know, does. 1,300 CRs or whatever the number is now. He's leading the world in yeah. <laughs> CRs. Outstanding work. Yeah. Um, you can't stop a man like that. Yeah. <laughs> so I just have to build it into what he does. Yep. One, you know. and Look, so many people are passionate about all that information, yes. either coming to them as an individual through their own GPS device and their own heart rate monitor. Um. Or it might be a phone thing, app, or whatever, whatever they have. Um. So you know, ninety percent of individuals are very, very well informed. There's no doubt. Way more informed than we were back when we were young. We had the Timex watch. We thought they were the ants pants back then. The old, <laughs> yeah. We thought they were unbelievable. You know, because they it was a stopwatch with a stop start button and maybe a lap counter. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But these days, everybody knows everything about what's happening with their body pretty well while they're running, and, and some people. They love all the graphs and all that sort of thing. And look, a, a something like a Java is brilliant for a training diary. Mm-hmm. We used to have the old um, handwritten training diaries just yep. in, a, in a book type thing, you know, or well, some people might do it on sheets of paper and staple them together if they're organised, you know. Yes. Um, you know, but there was no drafts or anything like that. Um, yeah. But all that data on heart rates and elevation profiles and, you know, you can never get too much information. But all, all I can suggest to people is maybe don't spend too much time on it because you know, uh, even yeah. though some people might spend hours just on their own data yep. you know but even to all those uh, young coaches and uh, coaches out there um, who obviously you know that can be very valuable to them as a coach too you probably don't need to spend too much time on it i, I, I yep. like to set more as a, a snapshot yep. of how somebody's gone during their day and then, you know, you can, if there's an issue going on with your body or if, you, if, you, if your performances aren't going to, well, then you can start looking maybe more into details. But if everything's going all right and it's there as a the record, move on with it. Yep. Don't, don't get too caught up with it because you're, you're taking away from the pure joy of your running in the end. Uh, yes. Where that's the whole idea of just enjoying it, the physicality and getting out there in nature and the spirituality of the whole thing. we you're yes. out in nature, yep. r- hopefully, not on a treadmill. I do like all the G machines, but that, that's another thing. You know, they're great, but other than that, mate, why run on a treadmill? Yeah. To me, you know, the smoke, we've had about three smoky days in Melbourne. Yeah. And you get the media hopping on the big yeah. fan wagon about long-term health and whatnot, and you show one tennis player who, you know, she might have had a bit of a two-second cough, and then all of a yeah. sudden, yeah, it's the worst thing in the world for tennis players, and we're going to have to blah, blah, blah. Yeah, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And, uh, and then it's had a beautiful little shower last night and then people are on treadmills again because we've had a few drops of rain here. Like, <laughs> so every second runner out there is on a treadmill. This morning I'm checking out the star. Oh, I'm, <laughs> terrible. I'm going, well, What do you want? You know, like, <laughs> yeah. Do you want 10 out of 10 weather every day? It's beautiful getting out there with a bit of a challenge. You can't beat a 40 or 45 degree, degree day um, Yeah. To, to, to get the fuel for running in that extreme heat. Or well, you can't beat getting out there in minus 20. That's the Canadian rule for running, by the way. Minus 20... Well, that's the cutoff, is it? That's the cutoff. You've, got to, you've got, to be out, got to go out and run until it's minus 20. After that, it can become deadly, so it's probably not a good idea. <laughs> yeah.
0: No, that, That's good. I, I really agree with everything you said there. Um, mm-hmm. I think we can get a bit caught up in it all, and then you're sort of not feeling it yourself. like You're, no. you're sort of going off what the, the watch tells you all the time. Mm-hmm. Um, final two. So greatest running yeah. moment um personally yeah personally or coaching wise um
1: yeah yeah i'll just go personally i'll, I'll yeah. go i'll go zatepec 95 when i ran that yep. 29 31
0: yeah um, was that a I didn't big PB think I'd at the able
1: time to run that yeah. quick. I, I was never that much chop of a runner but just worked yeah. hard yeah a lot of consistent training under my belt and it was a good pv at the time and you know broke 30 a few times But I kind of thought at that point in time that that was about as good. I really nailed it that night, and I still remember when I crossed that line. And um, Whitney Houston's song, "One Moment in," no, um, (laughs) what's the name of the song? um, "One Moment in Time" just struck a chord in my head at that point in time. I thought, "Yeah, this is it." And yeah, I didn't think that's it. I didn't rest on my laurels, um, and I didn't know that would be my PB. Now looking back on it, what's that? 1995. What are we talking about? 25 years ago. Yeah. I didn't know that would be the... <laughs> hey man, I've never had music ever hit, you know, ever... I'm not like that. Yeah, yeah. That, that song just hit me. I'm not even a huge Whitney fan. Like yep. Bit so. <laughs> of a Whitney fan, I guess, back, yeah. then, back in the day. Yep. Uh, but, uh, yeah, that, that song just started playing in my mind as I'm shaking guys' hands and saying, well done. And yeah. I couldn't get the song out. Of that. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, yeah, I've never been. I, I saw you in the... Uh, I... The two bays, you look pretty yeah. joyous there. Yeah, yeah, I was things. never one to do that, never been a bit of a up. I'm not saying you're a showboat, I don't anything yeah. really do like that. I was <laughs> soaking it up. Man, I might have raised my hand once, maybe, for the odd little fun run, you know. But, yeah. <laughs> you know, but, you know but I've never been that joyous with my running. Yeah, yeah, you know. yeah.
0: yeah. You know, so, you, uh, do you remember the lead up to that race and do you remember standing on the start line thinking that um, you were ready? Oh, do you remember not that kind really. of stuff? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah.
1: No, not really. No, I, I yeah. do have I do, do remember feeling really ready for a few races
0: and then you'd normally yeah. go pretty well in them. Um, yeah. Yeah. But yeah. Okay. Oh, that, that, yeah, that was a good one. Yeah. And do you remember how the race unfolded? Like do you remember No, I just no. remember
1: being in a pretty big pack which would have been the second pack. Yeah. And thinking I'm feeling good, this is all right and you know got tougher as I went along. One of those races where, you know, um you struggle, but you don't struggle so much that your form drops. Yeah. So it's fairly even pace, something like 14.39 at 5K. So what would it have been in a second 5K, do you know? Whatever it was. Yeah. Probably a 10-second drop-off or something like that. So it's a pretty good drop-off,
0: really. Yeah. Nice. And, um, yeah, so now you're, you're um, coaching um, the guys at Melbourne Pack, and um, yeah. you've got a quite an established group now, and um, you're also doing a bit of online coaching. Yeah. Um, for anyone that's interested after this chat, like how would they contact you if they were interested in sort of joining your run group in Edafail or um, contacting you about? Yeah, they can give me
1: a call or get onto my website. That's Melbourne Pack.
0: Yep. Yeah.
1: One word, yeah.
0: Yeah, nice. Um, yes. Yeah. Yeah. is there anything else that you thought might be worth adding or? Yeah. Um, yeah, no, that'll be, that's yeah. fine, yeah. yeah. Thanks,
1: Dane, no, really appreciate the chat.
0: Yeah, no, that was great, Sean. Um, I think a lot of people will um, really appreciate that chat. And, um, like, you've got so many stories and um, a wealth of knowledge. So I think that's why it was great to get you on. Yeah. Welcome. Thanks, Sean. All right. Beauty. Thanks, mate. No worries. <laughs>
1: hope that pans out. Well, how long was that, by the way?
0: It was a uh, f- A quick plug just to finish, I'm actually a running physiotherapist by trade, so I've been a physiotherapist since 2009, so a good 10 years now. I work from Southern Suburbs Physio Centre in Parkdale three days a week, Monday, Wednesday, Friday, and then I also work from home in Frankston on Tuesdays and Thursdays. So, if you want to book in with me at Southern Suburbs, just go onto the Southern Suburbs website online, or call nine five eight four two zero zero zero. And if you want to book with me on at home in Frankston, then just go to my website and you can book online. Uh, a bit about my experience as a running physiotherapist. I've gone on the last six years of world cross country teams so that's a event that's on every two years So i've done the last three versions of that um, as the physiotherapist for the australian team at the world cross country so the last year i went to denmark i've been to uganda and i've been to china with that team i've also been to flagstaff three times in 2015 16 and 19 as a physiotherapist for um, a, a distance running camp funded by AFS Australia. Last year, it was mainly consisted of the Paralympic distance team that were training for the Doha World Championships. So I've had a lot of experience with elite runners and through my experience at the clinic, I've, my caseload now is about 60% runners. So I've either seen most running injuries or had most running injuries myself. And so I, I now am quite a competent running physiotherapist and I back myself in terms of, you know, most injuries and, and knowing what to do and, and diagnosing and, and uh, yeah, so if you've got any running pains or troubles that are really getting you down, then don't feel afraid to give me a call. All right, that's enough from me. See you guys.